Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 455. You know, COVID testing and all the protocols have their place in terms of what the cruise lines are doing, but certainly the European cruise market right now is facing a little bit of a different challenge. And to talk about how testing and cruises in Europe are going to be impacted this year, I've invited one of my good friends, Chris Greyfaust from cruisecritic.com to talk to me about what she's seeing after going over to Europe for a couple of cruises already in the early European season and how it might impact if you have a cruise coming up for this year. Here we go. Perhaps no COVID-19 protocol that's revolving around a cruise ship these days is as highly, not anticipated, but certainly thought about as I think COVID testing is. And it's a big cornerstone of the cruise industry right now as it relates to their COVID-19 protocols. And things are changing. A lot of things are changing with protocols, but this is one that's still here. But yet, I think the industry is starting to look at this a little bit more. And today, I wanted to talk more about this with a good friend of mine, Chris Greyfaust, who's the managing editor of CruiseCritic.com. Chris, welcome back to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Thanks, Matt. It's always great to be here. Absolutely. Glad to have you here. And you know, Chris, I was reading uh, your, your work. Of course, uh, I follow your stuff all the time. And you're on a really interesting piece called COVID-19 Testing Anxiety, The Fear is Real, and It's Hurting Cruises. And this really caught my attention. And, and I say this because you and I have been cruising since the get-go of cruising back last summer, right? Since June, we've been there. And we're just used to it. I mean, you go on a cruise, you get your COVID test, you know, however you've done it. And for me, it's evolved a little bit. I started going with CVS, and then I went doing the home test. And now it's a mere formality, in my opinion. But I'll be honest, I see a lot of people who are genuinely worried about this, not necessarily because they're going to catch COVID or not, like, as in like not getting sick or not, but is the fact that you've got this last goalpost before vacation and they can't like summon the strength, if you will, to get excited for their cruise vacation because they're worried they're going to test positive and what that entails. Not That's just from the US. I never mind, you know, if you get stuck somewhere else, but you had a really interesting article about this on Cruise Critic talking and, and not just, just, you know, members like cruisers, but also the cruise lines seem to have a very different approach than I was expecting to it. So talk to us about kind of, you know, your, your article here and kind of what you found in doing some of this research. Sure. Well, I mean, as, as people who are cruising know, and for those who are unfamiliar with it, there's a couple different places where you have the possibility to test when you go on a cruise. Almost all cruise lines, you know, require you to test before you get on a cruise. As Matt was saying, that's something that's really not probably going away anytime soon. And that's really not what the cruise line presidents were really concerned about. What they're concerned about is the U.S. government still has a requirement that people flying into the U.S. And again, it's people flying because mm -hmm. if you come in on a cruise ship after traveling international, this doesn't apply. But if you are flying into the U.S. from somewhere else, you still have to produce a negative COVID test taken within one day of entering. And we are one of the few countries that still has this requirement. Yep. Most countries in Europe, you know, a lot of people at the height of the pandemic, a lot of countries had this type of requirement that before you visited, before you left, you know, going between countries that you had to show a uh, negative COVID test. For the most part, pretty much all across the board, that requirement to test to get back to your country is gone. So Americans are really the, one of the few nationalities that to get back to your home country, you have to prove, regardless of whether you're vaccinated or not, that you do not have COVID. So what this has led to is if you are traveling you know, from a European cruise when you are coming home, 
uh, whether it's an ocean cruise, whether it's a river cruise, or even, you know, the Alaska seasons just started. So if you're flying home to the U.S. from Vancouver, you are going to have to take this test to prove that you can get back into the U.S. And I got to tell you, I've done this now a couple times, and it's concerning. It yeah. is perhaps the most nerve wracking 15 minutes in travel that I have experienced <laughs> throughout this entire pandemic. Yeah. And so it really is this last flashpoint where you're looking around the, and it's really only Americans again. I was most recently on a cruise with Azamara um, over in Europe, and we were flying home from Nice. And again, it's only the Americans, um, Australians, Canadians, British, they're able to go back to their home country without testing. Yeah. But I was looking around at all at the room uh, with the journalists, and we were all afraid. We yeah. were afraid that we were going to that we were going to test positive and that we were going to be quarantined in Nice. And um, so it's a very real fear. Um, it's something that the cruise line presidents have been seeing. It's it's hampering Americans from traveling um, to Europe. They are definitely seeing that ships that are over in Europe are maybe not getting the excitement that they used that they normally would get because of this testing requirement. Yeah, I, remember, I know that uh, during Royal Caribbean Group's uh, earnings call last week, uh, Jason Liberty, the CEO, talked about the fact that European demand from North American cruisers is a little bit down. And, you know, the Ukraine situation is not helping anything by any means. But also, I think this is part of that equation. And I thought you had a really interesting quote, Chris, that you wrote in the article it's from yourself. You wrote, COVID uh, test anxiety is real. It doesn't matter where you are in the process. Requiring a test of travel is nerve wracking and unpredictable. Testing positive can ruin your vacation and other future plans in an instant, and cruise line presidents are increasingly saying it's hurting the industry. So, you know, we're talking, and you're obviously some of the quotes, you have some interest, a really interesting conversation. Let's start there uh, with uh, Lisa Lutoff Perla, who's the CEO of Celebrity Cruises. And that's, I think, a really good, uh, you know, a, a good barometer, if you will, for the mass market cruise lines that are out there. And a celebrity is more of the premium line. But, you know, generally speaking, it's not like we're talking to like a small river cruise. We're talking about a big player in the game here. And she has some interesting thoughts on, on the process. And she echoed a lot of what you were just talking about when you were coming home from your cruise. Yeah, I mean, Celebrity, you know, their, their newest and biggest ship, Celebrity Beyond, just launched um, a few weeks ago in the UK. And it's going to be in the Mediterranean. You know, it's fairly typical for a lot of cruise lines to put ships over in the Mediterranean for the summer season. Uh, Wonder of the Seas, the current largest cruise ship in the world, is over in Barcelona right now and selling, sailing the Mediterranean. But for these ships to really, you know, for the lines to really get the most out of these ships, they need to have Americans that are going on these ships. They need to have Americans who are willing to fly over to Europe and take a European vacation. Um, because, you know, as we know, cruising is a great way to explore Europe. It's fantastic. But again, you know, what Lisa said is that this last test, this test to get back to the U.S., people are very fearful that they're going to get stuck over in Europe and um, incur the expense of a quarantine. Um, and again, this is not something that they're not, you know, the cruise lines aren't requiring people to test when they get off. It's really the U.S. to get in. And right. so um, she definitely was saying that this was sort of the last barrier for them in terms of like filling these ships in the Mediterranean. Yeah. And and certainly, you know, as someone who went through this just recently, you had that, those 15 minutes of doubt, if you will, you know, I mean, that's got to be, you know, you and I are lucky enough, Chris, that I think because of the way of our work, you know, if we did pet test positive and we're stuck overseas, at least we have the the opportunity to be able to continue to do like we can work from anywhere kind of a situation and we're lucky in that. But a lot of people don't have that. Right. You know, I remember when I had a day job and I had to, you know, you have seven day, you took off the five days for, you know, vacations, seven days total. Right. 
you got to be home on, on on Monday morning to do that. And that's got it's one thing if you're stuck in Miami, you know, and you got to drive maybe back home to you know Chicago. It's quite another thing when you've got when you're in France or you're in Barcelona and you're stuck overseas in the rigmarole and all that that goes through there. What do you what would you tell someone, Chris, right now? If someone's coming to you and say, you know, I'm thinking about booking a European cruise, but I am worried about that. I mean, what's your advice? What kind of feedback would you give to somebody in that situation? Definitely the main thing is that you have to have travel insurance. And what I'm also telling people is make sure that um, specifically trip interruption insurance, which is what this type of situation would fall under if you end up going into quarantine. And what I would even tell people is to look carefully at what how much that trip insurance, how much that covers, because I just heard of somebody, um, they were Australian and they got, they got nabbed, um, they got tested, they got tested uh, positive in Monaco mm-hmm. and they got stuck with a quarantine in Monaco at the height of Grand Prix season with, you know, for a hotel room. And, you know, they had $2,500 limit on their, on their insurance. So that's not going to cover the entire cost of that quarantine stay. Hmm. Um, I have a friend, you know, another thing is make sure that you're bringing things with you that you might need for a quarantine. You know, you might be going on vacation, but hey, maybe you should bring your computer anyway, just in case you get stuck. Um, I have someone, a friend that's doing that in Alaska because we're sailing out of, we have to leave out of Vancouver. And I'm like, bring your laptop. I know you don't want to, it's vacation, but you just don't know. You know, also make sure that you bring any medications that you might need. Um, Really. You know, again, plan for that worst case scenario, even though hopefully that will never happen to you. You know, hopefully you'll be able to get through this without testing positive, but you just never know these days. Absolutely. And it was interesting. You mentioned a number of agencies and organizations and consortiums are behind this effort to get the U.S. to change that, including the U.S. Travel Association, International Air Transport Association, ASTA, uh, CLIA, the Cruise Line International Association, which Royal Caribbean is part of, and other travel entities. So there's a lot of push to get rid of this particular uh, protocol, if you will, for coming back into the United States. But, you know, Chris, I can't help. I'm sure everybody's thinking the same thing. Well, if we're going to let's say this rule does go away, it seems like it eventually will, because like every other country has gotten rid of it. You know, that leads us down the line of, well, what about cruises in general with the pre-cruise testing and that kind of a thing? You know, there's certainly a I don't necessarily want to call it a slippery slope, but it seems like that's also you're in the same conversation of testing, I'm sure. By the same token, the way that it impacts cruise lines, bottom lines for international cruises, like they're all international, but you know, (laughs) cruises in Europe and Alaska, um, you know, that has to have some effect as well on the domestic cruise lines that go out of the U.S. as well. You know, what are your thoughts on there? Did you get any feedback from any of the lines about that particular protocol? Because that's like, that's like, I mean, that's one and two with, with COVID vaccines is like the mainstays of the protocols there. Have you heard any, any word on what that may look like in the future? I don't think people think that that's going to go away anytime soon. You know, the CDC, uh, that that's part that that requirement that you test before you get on board, you know, regardless of where you're going, you know, in the US, you know, that type of thing. That is not probably not going to go away, particularly as we're seeing now, you know, we are in a new wave of COVID of, of COVID right now, you know, it's a, it's a mild, it seems like it's a mild variant, but the numbers are going up. So I don't see that one going away anytime soon, particularly because the CDC does keep such a watchful eye on cruise lines. Um, so I don't really see that one being affected. I don't think the, cru- the cruise lines that I, the, when I was talking to the cruise presidents, they sort of saw that as this is just how we're doing business now, like to work with the CDC, this is what we need to do. Yep. What they, again, the requirement to get back in the US though, that's something that other countries don't have. They've gotten rid of it. 
as you made that, you know, you made the point that it's not just a cruise line industry industry issue. It's all of travel and it's international businesses too. Yep. international businesses aren't wanting to go overseas necessarily to do their business because then their people have to test to come back, you know, and again, yep. would they get into quarantine? So that's a much more global issue that impacts so many sectors beyond cruising. And at this point, the U.S. is such an outlier in having it that it seems like that's a very reasonable one for the cruise lines to kind of coalesce around and say, look, just get rid of this. You know, right. it doesn't make any sense anymore. Um, it's not really, you know, it ha certainly hasn't kept COVID out of the U.S. by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> true, true. to do this. You know, why, why is, why is our country, why is our nationality having this burden when other countries don't? Yeah. And you know, it, it's a protocol, the testing to get on a cruise right now, which by the way, even if you were going to Europe or Alaska, you're still in, in Canada, that is, you still need to get another test if it's, if you're within outside of the two, the 48 hours, right. To go do those cruises anyway. Um, and, and I'm sure you've done, you've seen this as well, just as I have, Chris, you know, the, the, the testing protocol to that requires people to get on a cruise uh, to have a negative result. You know, there's definitely people who I don't there's a fair amount of people who end up not going on the cruise because of that test result coming back positive. So it is effective in a, in a way. Nothing's 100 percent. There are no 100 percent and nothing. There is no risk free opportunities out there, but every little bit helps. And unfortunately, we're still seeing, you know, individual covid cases still being reported on cruise ships as if it's still, you know, May 2021. Right. In terms of the, you know, here's the covid cases on this ship. Um, instead of, you know, moving beyond that. But so the, my, my point here is the testing protocols for cruise ships still have a place for the industry to to really be that beacon of this is what we're doing it the right way. It's not the easy way, but we're doing it the right way. And this is what we have to do in this current climate until further notice. So I do agree with you. I don't see that protocol, the testing protocol going away anytime soon. Um, it was just it just surprised me that the industry was so vocal about the testing outside, like to air travel wise. Um, it, it's, there's a, it, everything is so like intermixed, you know, and, and the lines are so close together that it's easy not to like, well, if that, then this leads to this and this leads to that. But obviously there are still some things that, you know, we, I don't think we should expect any changes here, but I thought it was a good conversation to talk about because, Hey, this is part of the natural process. We're seeing protocols evolve over time. And what we're experiencing now on a cruise here in, you know, May, 2022 is different than we experienced last summer, which is different than we experienced in January. And you know, even two months ago for that matter. It's hard to keep up, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I do think the cruise lines think that this will go, that this testing to come back in the U.S. They say that they've been hearing, they've been constantly hearing that this is going to go away. Yep. I mean, the fact that now long, you know, you can travel internationally now and there's no masks, for yep. example, right? There's, there's none of that. And, you know, the mask things have kind of gone away. Um, so really, I think they're just kind of puzzled as to why this is being held on to, they kept, they, they kept keep hearing. I remember back in April, they were saying, oh, this is going to go away in a few weeks. Well, it hasn't. You know, now we're still in mid-May. We still haven't heard it. I think it's somewhat crucial for the Alaska season. You know, the lines that are, everybody was very excited to start cruising out of Vancouver again or, or to be able to return back to Vancouver. But then, you know, people coming into Vancouver, they still need to fly to get home in the U.S. So they're still going to face this. And we're seeing all kinds of sort of people trying to think of workarounds on the cruise critic boards that, just seem kind of crazy, you know, like driving from Vancouver, you know, because you don't have to test if you um, travel by land. So they're saying, I'll get off my ship in Vancouver and then drive to Seattle and fly home from there. That's such a big burden for a cruiser or for anybody on vacation, you know? So it just really seems like rather than have people have to do these crazy workarounds, why not just get rid of 
this rule that may input the U.S. more in line with other countries. Yeah, I would think that I'll be while North Americans going to Europe this summer is obviously a big market there. I would imagine I think, you know, that's a component to it. But I feel like since we're so close to the summer season now, like that, I don't know how much of impact will have in the short term. But the bigger impact for the cruise lines is definitely that international market coming back to the U.S. throughout the year. That's a huge component that was missing really last year because the ban was in place for quite a while for them. So I can imagine that'd be a big uh, thing there. I, I, there was a really interesting quote, again, from uh, uh, Ms. Lutoff Perla, who said, you know, when that judge ruled the mask mandate was eliminated, booking surged. Imagine when the testing requirement goes away. Like, I mean, they're clearly looking at that, you know, from, from that standpoint there. Um, I wanted to ask you, we'll shift gears a little bit and talk about Europe because you were just there. If anybody's going on a cruise to Europe or thinking maybe this is the, you know, I want to go try it out. What, what What was your experience like going to Europe, you know, given everything that's happening now? Did you... How comfortable were you? How close was it to what you recall? Um, give me some thoughts on your experience uh, traveling to Europe this late spring. Well, I mean, cruising, you know, being in Europe is, it, it, it seems remarkably in some ways like it was, you know, um, before the pandemic, because most, a lot of people in, in Europe, you know, the mask, mask, you know, you're not going to see people wearing masks in Europe, just like you don't see it here in the U.S., um, you know, uh, going in between countries now is back to being easier than it was maybe last summer. You know, the intrepid people that went to Europe last summer, you'll see that it's a little bit, it's definitely easier this year to go between countries than it was last year and a lot more normal. Um, on the ships, you are seeing reduced capacity, or you're seeing fewer people on board. You know, so people who are kind of searching for, I know that most cruise ships are getting back to normal again. People are starting to see the crowds again. I don't think you're going to see that over in Europe this summer, again, because not everybody is so intrepid to face this testing requirement to come back. But if you do, then you're going to see that. And you're, you know, pretty much things are back to normal in terms of like being able to get off and go on shore excursions, um, being able to walk around by yourself. You no longer have to be grouped in a bubble excursion, that kind of thing. So, you know, if people have the have the desire to go to Europe, um, then this is a good time. Um, one thing, another thing that is impacting uh, cruises in Europe is the high airfare, you know, and that's kind of across the board. I mean, if you have to fly to any cruise anywhere right now, you know, fuel, um, the fuel prices being as they are, airfares are a little bit higher, but yeah, it's a great time to be in Europe. Um, people are excited that things are back to normal um, and they want to see more Americans. So again, once this testing thing goes away, yep. they'll be happy to see more Americans back. Well, it's interesting. I think that I guess when you were talking about that, Chris, all I thought about was that maybe the last bastion of reduced capacity is going to be in Europe this summer. Like because in the Caribbean, Royal Caribbean basically said Memorial Day weekend. That's it. We're back. We're pretty much on average back to, you know, normal. So if that is important to you, you want to get one last hurrah in, that might be the opportunity to do so. Chris, thanks so much for joining us here. And of course, you can find Chris's work over at cruisecritic.com. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. Always fun. All right, let's answer some listener emails, starting off with an email from Jeff from Exton, Pennsylvania. Hi, Matt. My wife and I came across the cotton candy martini from Wonderland on Facebook, and it looks really interesting in ordering it. She sees four cocktails in the menu in the Royal Caribbean app. I'm concerned she's getting her hopes up for when we dine there on her next sailing. I know that Anthony doesn't have the dedicated bar for Wonderland like they do on the Oasis Clash Eps. Even though they don't have a dedicated bar, can you get some of the unique cocktails that they offer on the Oasis Class? Jeff, thanks for the email. They do have their own special drinks at the Wonderland on Anthem of the Seas. I do recall when we were there on Odyssey, which is a similar setup as Anthem. They did have special drinks on there. I'm not sure they have every single one on there, Jeff, but uh, there's certainly going to be at least a couple of drinks that you can order that'll be different than you might find anywhere else. So, you know, I, I think you're right to temper expectations, but they will have something over there for you to enjoy. 
Next up, we have an email from Anthony Zapata. Hi, Matt. I'm sailing on in July 9th for nine days on Allure of the Seas. This is my third time sailing with Royal Caribbean. I have two questions. Uh, it's been years since I've sailed, so I'm out of the loop. Now with the shows having to be booked in advance, how far in advance can you book shows and how do you go about doing it? We'll start. We'll stop it right there and we'll go to the next question from Anthony. Um, actually, so it's actually the opposite, I guess. You can't book your shows in advance. Um, a change that's happened since COVID and cruise ships restarted is that you have to wait to get on board the ship to actually make a cruise reserve, a reservation for a show that is. So basically what, the way it works, Anthony, is this is true for all ships, whether it's a Oasis class ship or not. When you get on board the ship on day one, connect to Royal Caribbean's Wi-Fi, and then within the Royal Caribbean app, you'll have the opportunity to book a show reservation there. Of course, you could go to guest services and do that as well, but I find it easier to do it via the Royal Caribbean app. Anthony also writes, also, are you still able to get a table for two when uh, meeting with the maitre d' and requesting a table for two in the main dining room? Or is it better for us to just choose my time dining and hope to get it set at a table for two like we've done on other cruise lines? Uh, thanks for all that you do. Keep up the good work. I'm glad I found your podcast and YouTube videos as they've been super helpful in getting me excited for my cruise in 71 days. Uh, yeah, you absolutely can still talk to the maitre d' on board. In fact, that's a really good idea. I would say there are two things you should do. One is you want to send an email a couple weeks before your cruise, maybe about three weeks or so, Anthony, to RCL Dining, Romeo, Charlie, Lima, Dining, all one word, at rccl.com, rcldining at rccl.com, and just uh, put in your reservation number, your ship name, sail date, your name, of course, your stateroom number, and they want to table for two. And then on top of that, Anthony, I would still go down to and speak to the head waiter when you get on board the ship on day one, right in the afternoon, like, you know, one, two o'clock, something like that, just to double check. They're usually pretty good about that. If you follow that, those those two tips right there, I, I've generally worked out every single time that I've ever tried it. So hopefully that'll answer your question. Thank you, Anthony, for the email. Our next email comes to us from... Steve, hi, Matt. I always enjoy your podcast. I always appreciate all the hard work you put on the podcast, website, and videos. I've noticed that Royal Caribbean has been doing some very unusual itineraries over the last year or so. This include cruises out of New Jersey to Greenland, cruises out of Barbados, cruises out of Panama, the new Radiance of the Seas, nine night cruises out of Galveston, and more. I didn't follow Royal Caribbean very closely before the pandemic, so I'm wondering if this represents a new direction for Royal Caribbean and if we should expect this to continue going forward. It's a really good question, Steve. Thanks for the email. So what you're seeing is Royal Caribbean kind of dipping its toes. I mean, the the you know the bread and butter is always going to be you know the seven night cruises and the three and four night cruises out of Florida. I mean, those are never going to change. But Royal definitely likes to try new things out. It's almost like they they kind of put feelers out there and see what happens. So they'll do like you know a, a Greenland cruise or they'll position a ship for a couple of months down in Barbados and they'll kind of wait and see what happens, right? Because the idea is they don't want to invest too much. They don't want to be like, oh, we're going to spend, we're going to, you know, the next three years, we're going to have a cruise ship doing this particular really long itinerary or based out of this port that we usually don't have ships out of. Like that would commit them to potentially a bad idea, if you will. And what I mean by bad idea is meaning it may not sell as well as they may like. It's oftentimes, it's hard to know exactly what the market will uh, bear in terms of, of demand. And certainly we've seen situations in which Royal Caribbean has put a particular new option out there and it falls flat on its face. Other situations, it actually does pretty well for itself. You know, you may recall the uh, last year when cruises were initially going to restart. If you remember, Adventure of the Seas was going to restart first and Adventure restarted at Nassau. And right on its heels, they had Vision of the Seas out of Bermuda. Well, those cruises never happened. And part of that was because, number one, they weren't selling that well to begin with. And number two, then a, a, a shift in dynamics where the U.S. is going to restart cruise or allow cruises to restart again. You know, the Royal Caribbean kind of said, well, that's not going to really work. Now, that's a rare situation which they pulled out of there. 
in most situations, what they end up doing is just letting it go and then obviously not extending that kind of a season there. But when it comes to kind of exotic itineraries and one-offs, sometimes they just are that exotic itineraries and one-offs and they may never return. But if there is enough demand for it, they may end up being a you know mainstay, something they bring back or even expand. So ultimately what this boils down to is, you know, are these particular itineraries that you're seeing gonna be popular enough that Royal Caribbean is gonna say, you know what? We see a market here. We see a demand for it beyond the novelty, right? And if they see that, it could definitely be something else. So, you know, it's not sudden, it's not necessarily a new direction. I think Royal Caribbean has always been looking at ways to offer new deployments and new itineraries whenever it's possible, kind of ways to sprinkle it in, as opposed to going like, you know, we're gonna have all crazy itineraries this year. Uh, I think they use that as a tool to kind of determine and gauge interest among its, its fan base as to what people are looking for. Next, we have an email from Lori. When we cruise, I hate that there is a people, so anyone passing in the hallway has a view into the room. We want privacy, so I just leave the closet door open. It covers the view into the room. Cabin steward would know that if the view is wood, that we we would be in the room as the door wouldn't be able to open uh, when you go out of the door to leave the cabin. Laurie, thanks for the email. I would just say, in most cases, in fact, I think on every ship I've been on, I can't, there's usually a little, the, there's a peephole um, cover. It's a little piece of metal and it slides back to, uh, to cover that up, so... Um, perhaps somebody broke it off on the particular ship you're on, or I'm not sure, but I seem to recall that always being a feature there to, to give you some bit of privacy, but I guess your, your idea works as well. It's not a bad one. Thank you for the email. Next email is from Emily Carey. Hi, Matt. I've been avid listening to your podcast since a little before the COVID pandemic began. During the pandemic, I listened to your podcast on my way to work. Boston traffic those days was so ideal. My family and I are frequent cruisers of Carnival until 2010 when we first sailed with Royal Caribbean. The difference was outstanding, and Royal Caribbean has been our go-to choice. Although time has become tough and college was fa approaching fast for myself, our last cruise was 2012 on Oasis of the Seas. Since then, so much has changed with the cruising industry. Summer of 2021, I convinced my family to book a cruise for 2022. The deals that day were spectacular. It'll be myself, my boyfriend, my parents, my younger sister, and our and grandmother. We're all thrilled to be finally getting back on a cruise ship. It'll be 10 years since we last set sail. We'll be uh, setting sail on the Harmony of the Seas on the July 31st sailing. We've been reading up and listening to you on the protocols and changes in the cruise industry. I've informed my parents about specialty restaurants being a new popular spot to dine. On our 2012 sailing on Oasis, there were a few specialty restaurants with the main dining room and Windjamer were the go-to spots. We've booked the Chops Plus One and plan to try the specialty restaurants while on board. My question is, is it going to be a drastic change of cruising from 10 years prior? We're all so excited to finally be able to cruise again, and I'm excited to be on the road to achieve my lifelong goal of becoming a Pinnacle Club member or Girl Can Dream. I look forward to hearing back, and I can't thank you enough for giving us hope that cruising will return to normal amongst such trying times. Emily, thanks for the email. Very kind of you. Um, yes, I mean, in short, yes, things have changed a lot in 10 years. Uh, you know, there's been a little bit of a shift in focus. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still a cruise ship experience. You're going to get on board the ship. There's still the buffet. There's still the pool deck. There's still fun shows on board. There's live entertainment. I don't think that has really shifted. What you're going to notice, Emily, I think, number one, is a far larger focus on technology, right? There was no Royal Caribbean app. Well, not that I can think of 10 years ago, right? Check-in, um, you know, that whole aspect of it, managing, especially on an Oasis class ship where you have a lot more features within the app, that whole aspect of it is, is definitely different from there. Uh, in terms of, you know, the onboard experience as well, certainly I think the focus, especially dining, has heightened. When I remember when I went on Oasis of the Seas in 2009, and I'm oh, sorry, 2010. Oasis launched in 2009. I was on her in 2010. And we went on there and, you know, we were, this is like one of our very first Royal Caribbean cruises as well. And, you know, I think we, I don't think we ever went to any special restaurants. Like maybe we went to one, I'm not even sure. But, 
you know, it was definitely a different uh, experience there. And that's not necessarily a negative or a positive. That's just different. Uh, you know, I, I think Royal Caribbean Specialty Dining Game has improved quite a bit. You know, the restaurant, especially restaurant experience in 10 years ago, is significantly different than what we see now because Royal Caribbean has placed a lot more emphasis on making it diverse and really stand out. And I think that's to your benefit. So the fact that you have Chops Plus One is a great idea. I think it's a good way to dip your toe into specialty dining. And I think you're going to find it a great experience. But I also think, you know, the things that you've known even 10 years ago are still going to be there. So, you know, it's going to be, you know... Um, I'll, I'll quote the, I think it's the who, right? Meet, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Like it's, you know, it's different, but yet it's still familiar and it still feels like a cruise. So I think you'll obviously notice and pick up on, oh, they've got in this direction here and this direction there. But overall, it still, I think, is going to feel like a, a cruise. So that's the good news there, Emily. I hope you guys have a great time checking out a cruise 10 years later. My goodness, that's amazing. Next email is from Jason. Hi, Matt. Thanks for producing the podcast and keeping my, me and my family excited for our back-to-back, -back, uh, back on board, I should say, on one of these ships. We're planning a once-in-a-lifetime trip for my family, my brother's family, and our parents. Our party is six adults, four children, and we're planning on a two-bedroom aqua theater suite and an owner suite. I have a few questions. From what I can see, every individual in Star Class Week gets the complimentary beverage package, dining package, or pre-break gratuities. Is this correct? Yes. In this case, it seems our best split to put four adults and four kids in the aqua theater and just two adults in the owner's suite. Just curious if my understanding is correct or if those benefits are limited to a certain number of people. I uh, know that you're you're absolutely right there, Jason. That's exactly, you've got it right there. So certainly, and the benefits, by the way, that you get in a star class suite are only available to those who stay in a star class suite, no matter how they're related to you or how much you love them in the other room. So yes, you definitely want to maximize uh, what you're putting in, in the star class room. Uh, number two, since we will still have two people, probably our parents in the owner suite, will they need to board depart separate from us and not be able to take advantage of special seatings or restaurant reservations with us? Or will the genie be able to include them with us even though they're not in star class and just pay the fee for the restaurant? We'll definitely pay the fee for the restaurant. That's that's the bottom line. You can almost guarantee that. The Whether or not they'll let your parents or whoever those other two people are slide in on your coattails or ride your coattails, whatever the metaphor goes, that is just a simply, it's a gray area. It depends. Officially, the answer is absolutely not. That's not the policy. You're there. I'm glad you love them and that you're, they're your family and you can certainly hang out with them. But the the benefits that you get uh, with a star classroom and the genie benefits are exclusively for those who are staying in the suite. Nobody else. End of story. Now, have I observed in situations that certain times the genie benefits have benefited other people? Yes. Um, I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't expect it, and I certainly wouldn't um, uh, plan with it in mind. I think you can certainly hope for the best on that. But whoever those other two people are, they've got to go in with this almost an understanding that they're almost going to be, you know, they're all, they're on their own, but they're they're going to have a different experience because again, the genie benefits. You could certainly ask very kindly, you know, uh, when the genie asks you, oh, tomorrow night I see, you know, there's uh, this particular show performing, you know, should I reserve seats? And you could ask, hey, yeah, could I also get two extras for, you know, my parents or whoever's in those other two people? They may say yes, they may say no. I've seen it both ways. You can't bet on it. You shouldn't expect it. But if it does work out for you, great. But you should understand what the rules are before you get into this particular scenario and you understand that. And Jason's last question is, with this booking, we're getting significant onboard credit from the travel agent to the point that I'm not sure what we'll do with it. We'll use the owner's suite onboard credit on gratuities and drink packages for my parents, but have no idea what to do with the significant onboard credit for the Aqua Theater suite. We prefer taking third-party excursions and won't be spending it there. Can we use onboard credit for pre-booking cabanas at Coco Key? 
I know if we wait until on board, there'll be no chance of command is still available. What are your thoughts on the best uses for onboard credit? Very sorry for this long list of questions, but would really appreciate your help. We're so excited for this one time trip. Really can't wait. Don't apologize. It's a great question. Thank you for the email. So if you have onboard credit that you're getting from the travel agent, meaning it's not available to you, like you go to the cruise planner website and you don't see onboard credit loaded in there already, then yeah, um, the, the, the best places to use your onboard credit, shore excursions, number one, you already talked about that. In terms of cabanas, you have to pay cash for them and then you're just, that doesn't factor into your onboard credit at all. And if that's important to you, then you definitely want to do that and just bite the bullet on that. You know, the best way to spend onboard credit, the spa, boy, that will eat up your onboard credit really quickly. You could also purchase souvenirs on board. You could take advantage of, you know, certainly paying for perhaps some especially restaurants, uh, you know, mentioned the two people that aren't doing especially dining. That could be an option for them. And then there's the end all for, before I even get to the end all be all. I will say that I find that a lot of people always worry about spending onboard credit. I just find it very difficult not to do that. I would, you know, I, it seems to me like it's not as difficult as people think it is to get, like, I just have no problem ever spending on more credit. But if you truly got to, you know, the last day or two of your cruise and you've got still got some significant onboard credit, then the, your best bet is probably to go to the casino, you sit down at a slot machine, put your CPAS card in there. And let's say you, I'm going to make up numbers here. Let's say you have $100 onboard credit. You put your CPAS card in there. And there's a way in the slot machine to charge $100 or whatever amount you want back to your room and put it in the machine. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is if you do it for the slot machine, there's no fee. It's kind of a workaround. If you go to the casino cashier or you go to the blackjack table and try to do the exact same thing, they're going to charge you 5%. But if you do the slot machine, it's free. So whatever. Anyway, you go there, you charge the $100. The $100 comes on your, obviously it'd be in the game. Then you just cash out immediately. Go to the cashier, cash out the hundred bucks, and you got hundred bucks in your pocket cash. That's the way to get around it. If you truly have too much onboard credit to spend, I would wait till like the last day or two of the cruise to do that. But like I said, I, I find like in most cases, I, I get this question a lot. So it's not you, Jason, but a lot of people always wonder like, oh man, how am I possibly spending onboard credit? I mean, it's really not that difficult. Uh, certainly if you're willing, you know, again, the spa, souvenirs, and of course, short excursions, you never know what might appeal to you. Obviously, you have to go through Royal Caribbean for those, but they may work out for you. You never know about that. So hopefully that answers your question there. And uh, thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean blog podcast. If you'd like me to email or read your email on the show, you can always send it to Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com, Matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. And be sure to post a podcast question in the subject line. So that way I know that you're sending me a podcast question and not a uh, generalized customer service question, which is a whole different issue altogether. <laughs> so until next time, I'm Matt. We'll talk again real soon.